0: Welcome. You are listening to intentional conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. It does me great pleasure to give a formal introduction of today's guest co-host, and so I'm going to read her bio, and then I will invite her to greet this audience in her own way, and so get prepared, Vodcast community, because you know what we like to do is show great appreciation through those emojis, through those sentiments that we share in the chat, so be prepared for that after I finish reading her bio. So, today's guest co host is none other than Farah Harris. Farah Harris is a psychotherapist and the founder of Working Well Daily, a company that approaches workplace belonging and well being from a clinical and emotionally intelligent lens. Farah has helped individuals and Fortune 500 companies develop healthier workplaces where employees want to stay and thrive because their leaders and teams have grown in empathy. Self awareness, social awareness, and cultural awareness. As a mental health practitioner and consultant, Farah understands the intersectionality between well being, equity, and inclusion. She is a contributing writer for Fast Company. Her work has been featured in media and podcast platforms such as Forbes. Business Insider, Harvard Business Review, Good Morning America, Essence, Huffington Post, Inside Edition, Thrive Global, and Therapy for Black Girls. You know what to do right now. Take to the chat, find those emojis, find those reactions, and help me to welcome our guest co-host today, Farah. I'm going to bring her in, adding to the spotlight so that we all can see her up front and center. It is so good to have you here my friend, thank you so very much for saying yes to our invitation. Now I have to tell you one of the things that we always do before we allow our guest co host to really go in deep into kind of the dialogue and the conversation is to share with us some additional tidbits about themselves. And particularly what we're looking for are those things that people cannot find by reading your bio or your LinkedIn profile so. Farah, I'm going to give you just a second to think about that. Then I want you to share with us. Let us, let us into your world a little bit deeper.
1: Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, hmm. So I don't think it's in my profile, but if you follow me enough, you know that I'm Haitian. Um, So that is something uh, I I came to the States when I was very young. I was about two and a half. Um, And I don't think it's, on my LinkedIn profile, but I am a huge Marvel fan. So any Marvel fans out there, uh, hello. (laughs) Um, Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) with the Caribbean connection. Yes, so to all my Islanders, all my Caribbean folks, welcome, happy Friday, everyone.
0: That is great. Happy Friday to you as well. So we're yes, going to get so into our questions. I'm a Marvel fan. <laughs> yes. I like my Marvel yeah, You're fans. getting lots of love into the chat. So yes, there's a lot of people that are right there with you on, on the Marvel tip. And so that's All fantastic. <laughs> Um, So we're going to, we have lots of questions today, and I know that we're going to, you know, certainly have some really rich dialogue, but in the spirit of this week, having celebrated International Women's Day, I just want to take a moment to kind of soak that in a little bit. I know that I was really touched by the, the plethora of messaging that took place on social media, not only for women, but also for men. You know, really shouting out the women in their lives. And so I'm seeing that from my vantage point, the recognition of of Women's Month and Women's Day is increasing in terms of people's ability to lean into it, to understand what it really means, to recognize the importance of it. What are you seeing, Farah? And what has really maybe tickled your fancy this week as you've been kind of soaking up some of um, what you're seeing uh, people posting and talking about relevant to Women's History Month or even International Women's Day?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's refreshing, uh, first and foremost. So that is really, really amazing. Um, I feel that as a Black woman, um, we like to hype each other up. So that was cool just to see everybody um, within the Black culture that were just hyping up the sisters and was just like, yeah. if you don't know yeah. this person, you should follow this person. Um, and people giving themselves their flowers, right? You know, yeah. so like that Snoop Dogg, like, I want to thank me. <laughs> you don't want to take me? So I I was yeah. seeing posts on LinkedIn where it's just like, "Yo, I'm celebrating me, um, and <laughs> I'm a dope woman," and so that was really cool. But um, it also highlighted for me how much louder this month has already been in terms of what we're highlighting. You know, being you know Women's Month, and how quiet last month was. Yeah. Wow.
0: Month. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yes. 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 So let's, let's talk about that. It was, I mean, comparatively speaking, especially considering that what we're just now in the first full week of March and it has been really loud. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't know if I've been in conversations with anyone, um, that has brought that to, to the conversation in terms of, hmm, have you paid attention to what was happening last month versus this month? And, um, so I I don't know it's 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 a very broad question but what do you think needs to be done to help shift that to make sure that Black History Month and really just Black History appreciation, um Black Black Excellence appreciation all the things, are are magnified to the extent in which some of these other national recognitions are, um, what do we need to do?
1: I think we need to take a collective breath, <laughs> like a deep breath and like reground ourselves Um, Mm. there is it it is exciting like I'm going to be honest like I was coming into March with a bit of trepidation because February were so quiet and I was curious if these other um, groups that we're amplifying was going to be just as quiet um, and I don't know if it's just that you know women are just going, hey, I'm here, I'm using my voice. So we, we're just making mm. sure that we're louder um, and you're going to recognize <laughs> that I am in the room. Um, but I think when it comes to celebrating blackness, African-American blackness, um, the, the excellence, there's been so much of this pushing towards doing anti-black work, um, doing anti-racism work. Um, that there seems to be a bit of maybe genuine allyship fatigue. And I'm also going to say, uh, in disingenuous or, or performative Mm -hmm. allyship fatigue, right? You know, so- We were rah, rah, rah. We're going to make our statements. We're going to do our thing. And then it was like, okay, we keep talking about this. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Can we talk about something else? Yeah, we
0: we got fatigued with it real quick, didn't we?
1: Really quick, and I think it was because (laughs) it was, um, you know, it's kind of like a shot of Red Bull. Like, you know, it's like, we're going to do this without really taking time to assess why are we making these strong initiatives? Why are we saying Mm -hmm. that we're going to do these things? And so I recognize with working with organizations, I have to go, can we get back to square one? Like, why are we doing it? Like, let's let's have a clear understanding. Why is this our mission? Why is this important to us? And so if it is really under our DNI umbrella that we're going to highlight black excellence and we're gonna highlight women and we're Mm -hmm. gonna highlight those of the (laughs) LGBTQ plus community, why? What, yeah. How is it ingrained in our culture and our mission so that it's not just one group, but that this is how we're celebrating all people because we believe all people should be celebrated. So yeah. I think the tiredness this is because we focus so much on performing as allies to address the issues that are um, impacting Black communities, but not really with sincerity and Um, you know, what we're here to talk about with emotional intelligence. So that was what we, we saw last month.
0: Yeah, um, your reference earlier to the Black sisters who are really also leaning into International Women's Day and Women's Month um, by highlighting other Black women, I think is beautiful to see. And some of what um, I think is sparking that is because oftentimes, even when we think about Women's History Month, um, it's the, the dominant white women who are, are getting the recognition. And so I think that also the cry of let us make sure that we are amplifying all women, and especially paying attention to those women who are um, more disproportionately impacted from an equity perspective. And so I have really been leaning into that. And so Anyway, and I know that you have as well because I've been following your post and some of what yeah. you've put out to the universe. <laughs>
1: and I feel so bad because I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he had a post earlier this week about, you know, supporting and following neurodivergent women. Um, nice. And so it was just like a whole post where people were sharing and tagging yes. other women who are neurodivergent, whether it's ADHD. Hi, those with ADHD. <laughs> um that's me um and you know those who are autistic or you know i I think we need to also talk about those intersectionalities that women experience and live in um and and it brings extra color to to what we bring into the workplace
0: yeah um i'm staying a little bit longer here because i'm just so intrigued by by where we're taking this conversation but i saw just yesterday where joe biden is being criticized because the administration and and recognizing a group of women from all over as part of International Women's Day, one of those individuals was a transgendered woman Mm -hmm. and people were like all over it, like, you know, and so I do love, I do love, love, love how there are certain communities who are a part of some of those marginalized, oppressed communities and identities who are stepping forward to make sure that those communities are seen, that they're heard, that they're not forgotten about. And, um, and so it just reminded me of, I think that's why, you know, all the Black sisters are like, yeah, let's, let's celebrate this Black woman and this Black woman. Communities are really trying to band together with their collective effort to make sure that, you know, their 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 identity is not being left out of these very important yeah. recognitions and conversations. So because okay. how does okay. it
1: you? Seems no, like it doesn't
2: it.
0: Well, exactly. It doesn't. It doesn't. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. So let's talk about emotional intelligence, because I know that is a big part of your platform. You talk about it a lot. It's like really um, part of who you are and how you show up to the world in terms of really amplifying that. Yeah. And so what does emotional intelligence um, play in creating belonging and psych safety? Tell us about the intersection and the connectivity between those three.
1: Um, that's such a good question. So first the definition of it, you know, so we all can understand what EQ, which is emotional intelligence or emotional quotient is, is just the ability to, um, be comfortable and be aware of your emotions and the emotions of others and be able to manage them. Um, I kind of in simple form say it's being able to know yourself and be able to read the room. Right. So when we're talking about, equity and belonging, um, psychological safety, you know, I have the, you know, I say you can't really do DI and I without the EI. Like when you are socially aware, that means that you are empathetic. You are trying to understand where the other person's coming from and trying to ideally meet that need. And um, emotional intelligence has, you know, four main, I guess, pillars, you know, the framework of it in it's self-awareness, self-regulation, social awareness that i was just mentioning and relationship management so when i can uh control myself right i can manage my emotions um when i'm aware of how i'm landing um on another person how they possibly could be experiencing me i am creating a space where i am intentional on ideally um Creating safety, like I can't necessarily determine safety for somebody else. You know, I often say this when I do processing sessions for um, for corporations. I can't say this is a safe space. You have to right. determine that, right? Mm-hmm. But I can be intentional on being present, on being open to listening to what you have to say, on being patient, um, being slow to speak, right, and just being able to go, well, what could they be? um saying is that really the intent you know asking more questions to get clarity so when we're talking about belonging and psychological safety it goes beyond just the people already in the room so when we think about eq it's actually thinking about before they even get into the room how are you considering them right so when someone goes to your website Is it just stock images of diverse people, but then they go Mm -hmm. to um, all of the top leaders and they look a certain way? Um, When you're recruiting, how are you doing that? Um, I know there, even when it comes to like redesigning an office space. Are you considering those with certain physical disabilities, right? You know, you'll spend all this money renovating and then you find out that your place isn't actually a, an equitable place for those who may need to maneuver in a certain way, right? So when we're using our EQ, it is to go, what is needed in the space for others to feel like they can be comfortable so that they feel like they are welcomed, to feel that they were considered before they even right. enter the room?
0: Yeah, I think um, that last bit was so important. People want to feel like they were considered, right? Um, and not just in the moment where someone is trying to adjust, but that, you know, <laughs> there's a little bit of proactive, you know, value yes. to that too. You know, that you I, you thought about me, you know, you thought about me. It wasn't just self-centered um, as you were thinking about the engagement with me. And I think that's important. Um, So I have a question and uh, my team will probably not be surprised that I'm bringing this question up because we had a cultural patterns exercise that we did together earlier this week. We love those kind of team exercises. And what we came to recognize is that sometimes when we are trying to lean into our emotional intelligence and really find that place of empathy and showing up where we are considerate of our our teammates, there can be some tension points because we also want to make sure that we aren't masking and denying ourselves from showing up fully, right? And so can you talk a little bit about how you coach people to manage those tension points to where we're taking care of self, we're not denying ourselves of what we need to show up at our best, but that we also are being very thoughtful about others as well. Because sometimes that can be hard, right?
1: It can be very hard, which is why I say that emotional intelligence is not a soft skill, it's a strength skill. Um, because it takes strength. It's a strength skill. Yeah. I love that because it, it takes strength to manage yourself. It takes strength not to cuss somebody out. It takes strength not to snatch up your child when they're being disobedient. Right. So when we are in that tension of how do I hold space for me and my emotions while also trying to hold space for somebody else really, um, is where the, the self-regulation or self-management, whichever title you like to use, I also say in the wise words of Ice Cube, it's the check yourself before you wreck yourself part of emotional intelligence, right? <laughs> yes. It's being able to go, okay, this is making me uncomfortable, right? So I'm acknowledging the emotion. Um, mm-hmm. And thought it's making me uncomfortable, I need to practice the pause. Let me take a quick moment to breathe. Let me not add an emotion to my emotion. Cause as a therapist, I recognize that we do that too, right? We start judging our feelings like this shouldn't make me mad. So now you mad that you mad, you know <laughs> or you're anxious that you're anxious. Like it doesn't really, it's not fruitful. So to take a moment to practice the pause and go like, this is making me uncomfortable. What do I need right now? Do I need to take a t- deep breath? Do I need to pause the conversation? Um, because I can see that it's making them uncomfortable as well. It's like, hey, maybe we need to revisit this topic, um, how do I slow my words down uh, so that I can intentionally speak from a place of, you know, candidness and, and authenticity without it causing more conflict, right? So. Yeah. Being able to have that relationship management means that you also can manage conflict well. So it's not that you never have conflict, it's just that you are able to effectively communicate where both of you um, in the conversation uh, or in the discussion can find a way to accommodate one another. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it is, hey, we need to stop. <laughs> Let's yeah. come back yeah. a bit later uh, because I love how you said. The, the masking or uh, the appeasing, the people pleasing that can come. This goes to something that I talk about that I don't hear enough when um, the topic of emotional intelligence comes up. Mm-hmm. So I bring up the question of what is your emotional narrative? you know Where did mm-hmm. you learn about feelings? How did your family, your family of origin, whether it was foster care, you were lit, raised with grandparents, whomever, how did you learn how to deal with feelings? Where were they swept under the rug? Were they directly addressed? Um, were they presented but violent, you know, and aggressive?
2: You know mm-hmm.
1: that lets you know what feelings you're comfortable feeling and experiencing from others, and what you know emotions. were, oh man, the minute she shows grief, uh, I see tears. That makes me uncomfortable. Well, then mm-hmm. you're not. Using your EQ well because you're not regulating your own feelings, you're not asking yourself what's triggering this emotion, um, and it doesn't allow you to hold space or be fully present to empathize with the other person. So I feel like as adults we can't really do the EQ if we don't take the time to understand the narrative, the story, and the history of feelings um, from from not just our parents but society. Like what do we tell guys when they're little boys when they have tender feelings? You know, man up don't cry about it, don't be a little girl. We tell girls, don't be overly emotional, right? And then she gets of a certain age, is it that time of the month, you know? And so now we're saying tender emotions can't be expressed in a safe way. So Mm -hmm. there's so many narratives that we've heard as children um, and as teenagers and young adults that we, have to really take some ownership and some agency to go like okay I know what the narratives are but I want healthy relationships so I'm going to take more control of understanding what my feelings mean to me how to better regulate them so that I can also be able to have healthy relationships with others so that I can meet them where they are and empathize and effectively communicate even when there's moments of tension and conflict
0: yeah oh far this is so good the, the the chat is is pretty busy right now so you're definitely resonating oh. with a lot of people in this audience yeah um I love the power of the pause you know take the time to pause I love that that's really key I also love the reminder of the fact that we do have the ability to self-regulate but we have to pause in order to be able to spot the timing in which we need to self-regulate because otherwise we'll just keep going keep going and then also at the of being able to appropriately manage those tension points we're talking about is having that trust, right? And that's something that's really critical because yeah, when we are trying to lean in and also be there and hold space for others, you know, sometimes it may mean that we are having to, again, as you mentioned, just be in control over our emotions and our feelings. And then at the core of that, though, what's guiding that should be trust. I trust my colleagues. I trust my family members. I trust my teammates. right? And then that can help, I think, as we're trying to navigate those tension points. So you're bringing mm-hmm. a lot of wisdom to this conversation, and you are so well-suited to be in this space doing the work that you do. So um, so I want to talk a little bit about how using emotional intelligence can really help us as it relates to self-care rather mm-hmm. than survival, right?
1: Yeah. Yes, it is so key. It's kind of um, a, a bit of a chicken and an egg, right? You can't have really good self-care without the EQ, but you can't practice high EQ without the self-care. Right. So What I mean by that is that like the bedrock of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. So the more I'm able to understand myself, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. And so how do we use that to practice self-care? Well, if I'm aware that this sparks joy, then I wanna figure out how to do more of that, right? If it's it's a person, um, if it's a place, if it's a process, I know that this makes me feel good. You know, Nikki's Mm -hmm. number comes on my phone. I like talking to Nika. Let me go Mm -hmm. ahead and talk to Nika because she sparks joy in my life. So we want to do that. Oh, this process is a bit frustrating. Um, I don't feel as skilled to do it, I I feel that it, it drains me. Okay. What is it about this skill that can be delegated to somebody or, or this process that can be delegated to somebody else? Um, what time of the day is best for me to do something that I don't necessarily want to do? Like, where do I have the emotional or mental capacity to do that? Um, but it, it's being able to ask ourselves in real time, in the moment, how does this make me feel? Does it energize me or does it drain me? And so the more you're able to recognize what energizes you, okay, well, I need to find intentional time to either practice this thing or to be with this person or to go with this go to this place. Yeah. The things that drain us, we go, okay, how can I limit that? Because that causes stress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so is it mm-hmm. a person that has passed expiration date? Do they need to leave my life? You know, is it a thing that I keep doing that I go, well, why am I doing this? Um, You know, so the holidays have been interesting these last few years. And um, I'm so grateful for a husband that's supportive. So he was just like, why are we cooking a whole Thanksgiving meal? Like, I don't want you tired and stressed. Let's just cater. Yes, please. (laughs) Thank you. So we started to do that because sometimes we will put these I, I'm gonna use the word again, narratives. We put these narratives in our mind that we have to do things, right, mm-hmm. a certain way. Mm-hmm. I need to have all the fixings. I need to make things from scratch. I need to have all of this. And it's like, well, who said and, and why? Right. And and again, you know, that Marie Kondo, does it spark joy? Like if it doesn't, then how is this really making it a memorable, you know, experience for you and, and your friends or you and your family? So. Using our EQ is to in um, in real time practice doing that self audit and asking ourselves the question: How does this feel for me? Is this right for me? Um, the more I'm able to know what feels good, what is right, who is right, then I make sure that I'm in great you know um, increasing that 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 presence, that uh, process, that whatever, so that I have the life that I want to be. Living it, you know, I'm I'm, I'm designing yeah. my life,
0: right? Yeah, no, that's so good. So EQ helps us to avoid or minimize the minimize. self-induced stress yes. that we can yes. bring on to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's what I got out of all those nuggets that you just shared, and I think that's really important to amplify. Um, as you were talking, mm-hmm. what came up mm-hmm. for me, Farah, was that we we are really good sometimes at talking about and recognizing the need for time management but we don't do so well at recognizing the need and implementing strategies around energy management and the connectivity between energy management and eq you're bringing that home for me in full circle and so i'm just i'm i'm really i'm digging this i'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down for let's put it that way <laughs> okay So the name of your business is Working Well Daily, and obviously this well-being aspect as a psychotherapist is something that you center into your work. Mm -hmm. So I want you to please share with this audience, what does creating a culture of wellness mean to you, and how do you like to coach and advise leaders and organizations to lean more into creating workplace cultures where well-being is also um, prioritized?
1: Yeah, so... Though I do most of my work, obviously, with, with corporations and organizations, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm talking about people, right? Individuals, because corporations are, you know, it's a, it's a building, but it's a building full of people. So whether it's your, your workplace or your home, creating a culture of wellness is uh, creating a, a space that promotes health and well-being, for those who are within that space, right? So meaning they are safe to be authentic and vulnerable. And when I say authentic, I mean that they're genuine, that they don't feel like they have to mask, that they don't feel like they have to code switch um, or be in survival mode. So when you're creating that culture of wellness, you're creating a space for people Feel like they can be well. And so and we have, you know, this this wellness wheel, you know, so financial well-being, physical well-being, spiritual well-being, um, our social well-being, all of those things. Now, obviously, the workplace can't necessarily hit every single one of those, Mm -hmm. but um, you can it, it hits a lot because how, uh, how we feel socially is impacted when we go to the work be- workplace because the work is a social setting. So what are we doing in that social setting that's making me feel like I can be well, that I can mm-hmm. be myself. Um, and when I say myself, again, the best version of myself that is genuine, that is not a, um, I'm not sending a representative to the workplace, right? right? I'm not hanging <laughs> myself at the door when I come right. in, but I can bring myself in, in the correct context of the workplace Um, and the same thing, you know, I I, I challenge those who are parents because I I have three littles, you know, it's like, how are you creating a culture of wellness within your home? You know, are you Mm. creating a space where your children feel like they can be their most authentic self or are your kids masking and um, hiding things because you haven't created that that space where they can be vulnerable and and be their best selves?
0: yeah no I love that you're yeah this is something that applies not only to our professional lives but our personal lives as well and in our families so that's great so you have something that you refer to as the well method w-e-l-l share with us a little bit about that and why is it beneficial
1: so my well method uh the acronym stands for well-being elevating emotional intelligence Leveraging psychological safety and learning self care. And so again, I'm speaking to the organization as a whole, but I'm also speaking to the individual. So uh, an organization that is using the well method is making sure that part of their culture is having individuals and teams that are Enforcing wellness, self care, emotional intelligence, and creating a space of psychological safety within yeah. their team. And as an individual, yeah. whether you're a leader or you're an employee, um, that you are also thinking about implementing well being, self care, EQ, and psychological safety wherever you go. So that's when your friendship groups, that's within your own family. Um, and And if we are cognizant and intentional, we can see how they all integrate together so that they can create the sense of, of belonging um, and, and safety. So that we're using the EQ to go like, how am I feeling? How are other people feeling? Yeah. How am I being intentional about what is impacting my well-being? Am I doing my due diligence to have um, self-care practices, not just on Saturday, not just you know ten months down the line? Um, you know, my definition of self-care is the intentional daily act of creating a life you don't want to run away from. Mm-hmm. And for that to be mm-hmm. it, you have to use your EQ because you have to be in touch with yourself and go intentionally. Yeah. What do I need to do today? You know, how can I self-aware, how can I in the moment, um, practice my emotional intelligence so that, um, I'm able to have more contentment and more satisfaction and minimize it's not that you'll never have burnout. It's not that you never want to run away. Trust me. There were plenty of times I wanted to run away. It's that it minimizes it. Um, You know, I I love metaphors. And so I say, you know, self-care is like the protection padding that you get when you learn how to ride a bike or you play contact sports. It's not Uh, that you never get hurt. It's that when you get hurt, the blow, the impact won't be as intense or as uh, damaging because you've already been protected, right? So I love that analogy. Yeah. So like when grief hits, when change comes, It's not that it's not going to be hard, but if you've already been doing your due diligence of practicing self-care, it will be easier to manage.
0: Yeah, That is so, so, so good for So I'm going to be shifting momentarily to allow mm-hmm. members of this audience, if you desire to ask your questions or to present your commentary, um, I will um, know that you are interested in doing that because you will use the raise hand feature, letting me know that you are interested in me calling on you, whereby you can unmute yourself and share and then I will bring you into the spotlight or Again, you just want to use the chat to share your questions or commentary, please feel free to do that. So while you're thinking about maybe your questions, I am going to go to another question now. And I want to talk about the fact that I think considering you are a psychotherapist and you're in this work of, you know, well-being and you work with a lot of corporations, you must have a a, a philosophy around the importance of um, having therapists as part of the HR function, the leadership function within Mm. organizations. And so what are your thoughts on that? And how would this shape the way that the company culture is enhanced or maintained, if such were to become now a phenomenon that is now commonplace? Mm. What is that going to take? And is it necessary?
1: Mm. Nika. Mm. Okay. So I like this question. (laughs) Um, I believe every organization should contract or have contracts with multiple therapists i do not believe that they should have an in-house therapist okay um, yeah similar to to the discussion I'm, I'm, i don't want to really get into it but similar to the discussion of should d and i report to hr yes i don't think it is safe or wise to have an in-house um it's not like an in-house counsel Right? You know, it would be different to have an in-house therapist that especially if the workplace is toxic and unhealthy and safe, how safe will your employees really feel to go to someone that is being paid by the employer as an employee themselves? So hiring an outside therapist to do contract work where it's, you know, um, you know, say that it's for a retainer of, of three months or whatever. That's different. This is an outside person coming in. There is a little bit more safety there. Um, I do think that therapists should be used to help facilitate deep conversations. I know after George Floyd's murder, we've had several, you know, healing circles and right. whatnot. Again, no diss to anyone who 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 facilitated those, but there was the damage that came when you didn't have someone who. Had the skill set to facilitate these conversations when wounds were opened, right? When trauma got got triggered, um, there wasn't really a uh, what do you call it a, a plan of action after those sessions. Okay, now right. that I've exposed my pain, now that I've shared with you my trauma of my history of, of experiencing racism, what do I do with that now? Um, so mm-hmm. there there needs to be a partnership with psychotherapists. But I don't. I wouldn't advise for there to be an in-house clinician. Somebody would disagree with me, and that's fine. Um, I'm always open to hearing other uh-huh. other perspectives. But from my perspective, I think it would be a great employee incentive um, as part of like the their wellness package that there is. Uh-huh. A- within our company that once per quarter, you know, we have a, a person come in. I know that I do processing sessions for several organizations. These are amazing. These are employee centive, um, employee centric, excuse me, sessions where for thirty minutes to an hour, depending on uh, the request of, of my corporate client, I just sit with their employees. It's first come, first serve. We cap it at twenty five employees, and they have an opportunity to just be. They get a chance to breathe. They get, you know, sometimes we're sharing self-care tips. Sometimes people are sharing their frustrations of, you know, returning to office and how it's triggered their, you know, mental health. Yeah. They have anxiety, that kind of stuff. Sometimes we were just talking about um, still managing through COVID and, you know, yeah. or there, there's going to be a new leader that was coming in and they didn't know what that was going to look like. People just need a space to process, and that's right. exactly what we do in those sessions. And I recall one time, uh, the feedback of one person said, "I will never leave this company if this is a service and this is a a, a perk that is offered here." I don't know what they're mm. paying her, but I was like, "I just pay. I probably just saved y'all six k right there."
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. I love your perspective on that. And I think I tend to agree. We're seeing some folks in the, in the chat that's also, you know, aligned with how in which you, you address that question. I can see the, the challenge and the conflict with, um, to your point, having someone that's in-house, that's, mm-hmm. you know, receiving and holding space for all of the employees. You know, how safe is that going to feel for everyone? So I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, yeah, but the mention of making it available either through an EAP program or through some of the other um, efforts as you described, I can see that um, working to the benefit of those who are part of that organization. You know, you just sometimes it's nothing but the need to feel like you're not alone. So if you're kind right. of sharing what's coming up for you and then hearing others express, yeah, I've, that that's that's a challenge for me as well. It can be very, very healing and, and very, right. very much, um, you know, feel like a sense of support. So mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we have our first hand raise and we have Takia who's joined us today. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to add you to the spotlight. Please feel free to unmute yourself and share.
2: Hi, Vera. I love your content today. I have a question. It's kind of personal but also as a coaching question. When you're working on EQ and self-awareness and then you get to the space of kind of being able to understand like your boundaries and what you need to feel good, how do you get the courage to then execute that?
1: Mm, that's a very good question um and it's far, I think far and away, not like fair faucet um mm-hmm. so uh it it's like a muscle that you have to to develop, right? so if you haven't used your voice before to um to establish boundaries. It will be a very new thing for you and a new thing for whoever it is that you are are creating this boundary with, right? And so when we are in relationship with other people, whether it's romantic partnership, platonic friends, or within the workplace, there's a dance that we kind of do, right? If you (laughs) respond a certain way, they'll respond a certain way. And they get used to you responding a certain way, so they just keep doing the same steps. Once you start practicing the self-awareness, of go like, I don't like this you know, this is, This you sometimes we don't even know what our boundaries are until they get crossed, right? Until we realize like, oh, that upset me. That's true. Oh, okay, That's well, true. why did it upset me? And so, cause sometimes it may not even be them. It, it, it could be you. I'm sorry if I step on somebody's toes today, but it could be you because they triggered something you have not already processed, right? They inter- interrupted you and now you're feeling like, oh, they were disrespectful. This is how I felt. People talked over me and my family, blah, 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 blah. And they don't even know. And again, like I said, I have ADHD. I work on trying not to interrupt people, but sometimes that impulsivity happens and I'm like, my bad, I'm so sorry. But if it's one of those things where you're like, no, I think this is an issue that is repetitive that comes from this person and I don't like it, then it's, it's figuring out what is the best way that you communicate. Is it something that you need to write out? Is it something that you need to practice with a, you know, a safe friend? You know, um, hey, I want to say this to this person. How does this sound? Um, if it's too uncomfortable, but you have somebody that's mutual that you both respect, mm-hmm. you know, can you have someone there to support while you're having that conversation? But I'm going to promise you this. I could say this almost a hundred percent that if it's a boundary violator they're not going to be happy that you're going to change the steps. Yeah. They're not. And so you have to almost be like a parrot. You will be repeating, I said, I don't like when this happens. You know, Please don't do this anymore. I I think I've made it clear before that I don't like when you say this when I do that. Um, Or please don't use that tone of voice with me. And if they choose to continue to not do it, then you go, if you choose to use that tone of voice, this is the decision I'm gonna make. Cause you can't make anybody do anything different. You only have control over yourself, but it, it's those things where it's like, you know, you gotta build the muscle, you know? So I wouldn't say like, you know, well, you wouldn't be using your EQ if you cuss them out, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, to, to figure out like how with, with, with wisdom and discernment, what would be the best way to communicate with them? They would a written form with, with somebody else, or, you know, in the moment, um, verbally saying it to them. But I, I would first process it alone, you know, in, in journal or or with one-on-one um, with a with confidant.
2: Thank you. And what I do find is there's more fear in just thinking about it than actually mm-hmm. doing it. And a lot of times when you do it, you feel empowered and it, was like, oh, it wasn't that bad, they received it. And then that does allow you to continue to exercise it. One more question. This is just about like parenting and being a mom. Um, So when you're trying to teach your children EQ, Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily saying like you shouldn't cry, but maybe this situation didn't need that kind of emotion. Mm -hmm. What is your recommendation on communicating that? Because you don't want to invalidate their feelings.
1: This is a very good question. Um, yes. In all transparency, you know, I, like I said, I'm neurodivergent, I have ADHD. My eldest has ADHD and um, recently we, we found out ADHD and autistic. And although our youngest who is four has not been um, evaluated yet, I'm believing he's also um, autistic. So they're more sensitive to, to emotions. And so therefore the emotions are probably going to be more intense than a neurotypical person. Right. So the question or the action is not necessarily to, to minimize their feeling it's for them to become more aware of their feelings. Right. And you want to increase their self-regulation, AKA their self-management. Hey, um, and, and have the conversation after the meltdown. Right. Or after the expression of the strong feeling, when they have cooler heads, because when you're in the strong emotion, our amygdala is hijacked. We ain't thinking, we ain't hearing. There's no logical reasoning that is happening in the moment. So after the fact, we're like, can you talk, you know, walk me through what you were thinking? Can you tell me, can you tell mom what made you feel this way? You know, because sometimes the anger, which is what my oldest usually is, is his default reaction, is masking of shame right if he feels like he did something wrong he doesn't like the fact that he's done something wrong so he ends up being very aggressive and, and 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 very angry and so he doesn't know how to sit with that other emotion of shame in this vulnerable space so it's like what can you do he's learned it's not always something that works out if you're living in the midwest But when it's nicer outside, he realizes that the best way for him to emotionally regulate is to go for a walk. And Mm -hmm. so he'll leave. And I always be like, bah, you know, (laughs) go for a walk. He'll come back. And I've also taught my children how to apologize with emotional intelligence. So they always know how to say, I am sorry for raising my voice. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I will work on this, you know, so they take the accountability. But in real time, Sometimes you just have to let them have the meltdown. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks
0: so much for being here, Taki. I really do appreciate it. That was um, that was so good, Farah. So so good. Um, and you said that you teach your kids how to apologize with emotional intelligence. I bet that there are a lot of adults that also need those <laughs> lessons. And so I want I want you to take maybe a minute or so to help educate us adults on how to appropriately apologize, centering EQ. Yeah, what does that look so, like?
1: My God. <laughs> so we struggle with this because no one likes to feel bad. No one wants to be mm-hmm. the bad person, right? So to apologize is to acknowledge that you actually did something wrong. Yeah. Um, and so that takes some self-reflection and some self-regulating. It's like, ah, I like the appearance of being good. Like, what does it mean? Because then we tell ourselves a story. If I, if I did something bad, then I am bad which isn't the case, right? Right. So when we're apologizing, we have to first, you know, practice the pause, regulate our emotions so that we can also recognize that we've hurt someone, right? Whether we agree that we've hurt someone does not matter. If they have told us that what they said or what we said hurt, we have to acknowledge that and just go, I hear you. I see how what I said or what I did hurt you. And for that, I apologize. Um, and then I feel like you have to make sure that there is some type of not necessarily reconciliation, but what are we what are we turning away from and walking towards, right? So I'm I will know I will try my best. This is where I tell my kids because there's some stuff where it's just like I can't guarantee I will never do this again.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so it's like I will try my best to not raise my voice or to not belittle you, you know, I may need some help. Can you give me, you know, sometimes again with partnerships, you know, when we're in we're mm-hmm. romantic is there a cold word when, um, you know, you may feel like I'm emasculating you or something like that, you know, um, but it is really taking that moment of practice to pause on like, dang it, I messed up. I don't like the way that, mm-hmm. feels, but I want mm-hmm this relationship, right? We got to think about the bigger goal. It's not your ego. If the greater goal is connection, then you got to move your ego aside and go, I see how I, what I said actually is hurtful. And for that, I apologize. And to also ask the other person what apology looks like for them. You know, Yeah. yeah. some people yeah. literally need to hear the words, I am sorry. And you could be I like, you know, I apologize. And hearing, I apologize means nothing. Some people need to hear, I am sorry. Um, You know, in our house, just because of our faith, most often after we say, you know, I apologize, I am sorry. Then it's like, do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Yes. About that. And then, you know, there's sometimes it's like, yes. (laughs) And then there's other times it's like, um give me a minute give me time give me space give me some some space (laughs) I can get there but I need a moment (laughs) right yeah that's real talk right you know i I take your apology I'm working on the forgiveness but you know
0: yeah need a little space right now I love that. We often talk about at NWC how you know there's value in asking people what does support look like for you in this moment. And so, as you were sharing, sometimes we need to ask the person on which we are engaged with what does an apology look like for you? What's an appropriate apology look like for you? So I love that. I have not tried that before asking that very explicit question, but um, I, I am gonna. That's in my toolbox now, so I am gonna use that. I also love the idea of um, sometimes you have to have a code word. My partner and I, our code word is reset. If we know something has happened, it's like, okay, let's reset. I like that. <laughs> and then after, after those code words are delivered, then it's like, okay, that means we both need to spend some time just kind of pausing and just quiet. Don't just go immediately into like, okay, but let's just reset. Right. And then if, and then if we really are being playful, part of our apology is going to the other person and saying, are you sorry? <laughs> Which is not the right <laughs> apology, I know. <laughs> but it's, it bring but it's your culture, right?
1: It's the Are culture between your relationships. So that would work for you.
0: I love that. That is great. Okay. So we're getting close to the top of the hour, but I dare not uh, move forward without giving you an opportunity to talk about a book that you have um, that's going to be released. So give us the release dates, give us all the details, give us what inspired it. We want it all.
1: Yes. Uh, I wish I can give you an exact release date, but don't worry, it's soon. So okay. it's like next quarter. Okay. okay, so, okay. Um, so, literally within the next couple of months, I'm so excited. Uh, for those who are part of my pre launch team, you will get the first notification of when that release date is. Uh, and you can sign up at slash books. Um, so, the book is titled The Color of Emotional Intelligence. Um, mm-hmm. this is my first baby in in written form. Uh <laughs> so I know, <laughs> Dr. Nika, you have three babies. Um, so I'm I'm trying to get to your level. But ooh, this one was was an interesting one to 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 birth. Uh so the, the premise of it, I, I should give you the subtitle. So it's the color of emotional intelligence, elevating our self and social awareness to address inequities. And mm-hmm. it highlights um how we don't all use EQ in the same way, based of yeah. uh, based on where we are in society, right? So you you asked earlier about you know um, how do we use our EQ not to survive but also as 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 self care so that we're not like masking or code switching. So I address this in the book. So for those who have like no knowledge of what emotional intelligence is, part one literally is that it's like an intro to yeah. to I call it emotional intelligence in black and white. And so we go over the pillars, the frameworks that we all can have the same footing and understanding once we go into part two of the book, which is emotional intelligence and color. And that's when we're talking about how those who've been put pushed to the margins use their emotional intelligence differently. There's a heightened level of social awareness. We are reading the room more when we are women, when we are black, when we are indigenous, when we are newer divergent, uh, when we're part of the LGBTQ plus community, because most of these places that we're in aren't necessarily safe. They have been proven to not be safe. And so um, what does that look like? How do how does that show up because of microaggressions? How does that show up mm-hmm. because of racial trauma? Um, how do we, you know, address the issues like all live matter, you know, all of those things. And then the last part of the book um, I, I call, it's for all eyes, so allies, but with, you know, IES. and So for all of us, how do we use our EQ to create spaces uh, of psychological safety? Now knowing what EQ looks like, not just for me, but for all of us, um, in in practicing reading the room and practicing taking um, bites into uh, breaking down this system, you know, because there's so many systems that have oppressed us. And we can't necessarily do it overnight. If we could we wouldn't be in this position that we are in now and so um these three parts are what come together uh to create Mm -hmm. the book the color of emotional intelligence
0: i love that the color of emotional intelligence so can people pre-order right now i know we did place the working well com slash books into the the chat but can people pre-order right now
1: so with our marketing plan we are not doing pre-orders so Mm -hmm. it's yeah Yeah.
0: once it releases this when you get it okay
1: Yes, yes, nice. Well,
0: congratulations. I know what that journey is like, and so I'm super excited for you. We'll have to have you back once the book is out and available to the universe so that we can be in conversation about it. But, um, this has been so riveting. Um, we do have maybe like Two or three minutes left. And so I want to give you an opportunity to kind of close this out in whatever way that feels appropriate for you. If there's something I have not asked you about that you want to socialize with this community, please do so. And um, but just but just thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I'll give you the floor.
1: Oh, appreciate it. I thank you for having me. This was a great way to end the week um and start the weekend. Um, for those who are actually thinking about, well, I I, I want to figure out how to actually raise my EQs. There's something that I can do. Um, a simple First step is to actually practice your self awareness by doing a little exercise. So, like, first thing in the morning when you wake up, and maybe right before you go to bed, I want you to check in and ask yourself, How am I feeling? And even though it seems like a simple question, for those of us who've experienced trauma, for those of us who our voices have been minimized and belittled, uh, we have learned sometimes to ignore how we are feeling. So, when mm. you start the day going i feel refreshed or i feel anxious about today you know um and to do it without adding any judgment you know just acknowledge it um the more you start doing that so i I just said we'll start off with twice a day and then you know maybe during lunchtime and then maybe while you're in the car because what we want to do is be in real time relationship with our feelings so that we're not going from zero to 60, we're not being passive aggressive, we're not being surprised by our emotions. Um, I have this whole thing called walking the dog. So a proper dog, walking uh looks like the dog being right next to you but i know y'all have seen people who the dog is walking them right <laughs> the dog is leading them and pulling them away um yeah. we don't want that so we don't want our emotions to be leading us we want to be walking yeah. with them and managing them well and for us to do that we need to actually ask ourselves that question how do oh, i feel yeah. now
0: yeah I love that. That is such a great note to end on. Great check-in question. How am I feeling? Thank you so much, Farah. I'm I'm grateful and look forward to continuing to be in community with you. Um, and um, I thank you all for joining us today as well. Have a wonderful and safe weekend. Thank you.